This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Hello everyone. Takaho. Selamat datang. Konnichiwa. Hola. 안녕하세요. Assalamu alaikum. And Kiora. Connecting Cultures Features is a show by and for the beautiful and diverse multicultural people of Dunedin. Join me every Friday noon for Connecting Cultures Features on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, podcast on oar.org.nz.
It is now 12 p.m. and you are listening to Connecting Cultures Features on RFM. Kia everyone, thank you for being here today for Connecting Cultures Features on Otago Access Radio. So today we have an interview with the Equal Employment Opportunities Commissioner Saunoa Mali'i Karanina Sumeo. Saunoa Mali'i, Dr. Karanina Sumeo, is a proud mother of a son and two daughters. She is of Samoan descent, originally from the village of Vailima, Upolu, Samoa. She comes to human rights from working as a principal practice advisor Pacific at Oranga Tamariki, working to improve outcomes for Pacific children and families. Her previous experiences within the public sector includes roles with the Ministry of Social Development, Ministry of Pacific Island Affairs, Tertiary Education Commission, and the Auckland District Health Board. Her professional and academic background has involved advocating for the promotion of economic development, social and employment interests of marginalized groups, particularly women, Pacific people, learners, and young people. Karanina holds qualifications in social work, social policy, mediation, and science, including a PhD in public policy from AUT. So we are so blessed and lucky to have her with us today to talk about the Pacific pay gap and also the impact of COVID-19 on the employment sector. Kia ora, Commissioner Sauna Mali'i. Uh, will you please introduce yourself and your role to our listeners? Uh, uh, greetings, everybody. Uh, so I am Saunoa Mali'i Karanina Sumeo. I am the Equal Employment Opportunities Commissioner at the New Zealand Human Rights Commission. And I'm also uh, the advocate for women's rights and for our interests in business and human rights. So thank you very much for the opportunity to speak with you all today. Mm, thank you so much for being here. This is such an honor to be speaking with you. Um, and we have so many things to talk about. But firstly, let's start with the impacts of COVID-19 on the employment sector. Mm. Yes, well, fortunately, you know, if we look at um, the, the rates of vaccination by ethnicity, we know that especially for um, for our, our Asian, if we can just use that category, because that's what the our official statistics are, it's very, very high. Um, so, you know, that's a positive thing very much, and certainly in terms of, of our communities, because in the workplaces, you know, as we know, a number of workplaces have now been ordered by government to, to mandate vaccinations, you know, to protect not only workers, but also uh, the the public who come and use your services, so that's quite a big uh, a big deal. You know, we don't often order these things in you know in in a country like ours, but it's so important. We are talking about life and death here, hence it's so important. So it's it's really great to see really high vaccination rates uh, for our migrant communities. Um, we've got some way to go in terms of our tangata whenua, of course, but uh, certainly in terms of our uh, communities um, and. Yeah, there is there is a bit of a worry if some of our rural communities. So if, if you're in the rural areas, of course, we understand it's really hard for people to travel to, to get to where the vaccinations are. Um, so that still has some way to go. But, um, you know, the rates are really high and that's good because it means that 
not only our adults in our if the communities uh, you know have high vaccination rates it, it means that you're less likely to spread you know to hang mm-hmm. on to the virus and spread it to our children who of course don't even have the choice of whether or not to get vaccinated so that's our real worry but um, but in terms of our workforce it means that you can continue to work obviously we all need to work you know we you know to pay our bills and support our families so that's really important um one of the things that we're just uh, concerned about is you know if, if people um so what's some of the things that i'm hearing as commissioner is um is some of the um the abuse that's that's being suffered by our workers when members of the public come in and they're not vaccinated and you know they don't want to show their vac certificates and so forth so you know it's it's a real it's a difficult time for our workers so we just want to acknowledge that and we need to remind you know you know members of the public that if they're coming in for a service you know it's you know there are laws that need to be obeyed and it's um it's not necessarily the what the people if you're working for a cafe or hospitality or so forth you know you don't make the law you're just simply implementing the law of asking to see the back certificate um so we ask members of the public you know please please be respectful of our workers you know please please don't be abusive and you know they're just doing their job and it's really important workers also have a right to their dignity and to be respected as well as everybody else so that's one of the messages i want to push out to our communities um to be you know to be thoughtful be respectful um and you know we're, we're all entitled to our dignity and that's really important mm-hmm. it's good that you mentioned that because now that the vaccination mandates have it's, it's a new thing so there must be a lot of um pressure from the workers so it's really good that you mentioned that what about the people what about the risk of exploitation from migrant workers uh, is it different from before covid and now the risk of exploitation ex- right i mean that, that, that's a that's an interesting one because um, we, we know in our communities that that this happens and eh? we just don't have a very accurate idea of how many people are being exploited but you know if when i talk to union to represent you know migrant workers if i talk to um uh, those who represent pacific workers you know rse workers it does sound like it's a it's a significant problem that's happening is it has it gotten worse with covid i can't accurately uh, you know give you a response to that um what i am aware of is that work first workforce is now really you know they really value their workers you know the borders are closed now so we don't have the luxury of um just reaching out and recruiting more people so i'd like to think that in, that bosses employers are now um thinking really really carefully and making sure that their workers feel valued and feel protected because our workers will walk and so in terms of migrant exploitation i know that it's still happening it's it's still happening despite covid and why do i know that because i'm in conversation with um with government officials from embry mb and other and other ministries and they are still getting uh calls from people who are suffering from exploitation so that's how i know that's still going on um So I don't know if the community is aware. I mean, probably many are, but you know, there is a helpline um, for people to ring up and make complaints, and you can make an anonymous complaint about um, migrant exploitation. 
I don't, I'll, I'll just give you the number. So it's uh, it's 0800 uh, 200088. So it's 0800-200088. And that's a line that you can call and make a complaint about migrant exploitation. Um, and it's, it is the job of government and public services to rally around and, and, and protect you. They've got a, um, a six-month visa. So if you're here on one of those visas, because that's one of the reasons that people have been very afraid to call and report exploitation, because then, you know, the employer could cancel the visa. So we, we all understand the, the risks to that. So uh, the government has come up with this new visa. They'll grant you a six-month visa. And in that time, you know, try and help you re- resettle and, if necessary, find alternative alternative uh, work. And as I said, we've got more jobs now than we have people. And so, you know, there's, there's a possibility that, that further you know, another job could be found for you. Or certainly, they will, they will help you do that and find alternative education. So... What I'm hearing, I mean, the, that visa has only been open since July this year. It's a new one. But what I'm hearing from the unions who represent migrant workers is that it's, it's very positive. So the, the experience is positive of the support that they're getting. So, you know, please, please use that line. If, you know, you don't have to give your name. Um, you can report anonymously. If it's, it doesn't have to be happening to you. If it's happening to someone else you know in your community, you know, again, you know, make, make the call because it has to stop, eh? This exploitation of our communities must must stop. So, um, so that's the line. Mm, thank you for sharing that, especially because it's a new um, visa, and we really hope that we can reach the um, communities who don't know about um, the new Absolutely. changes. Yeah. Absolutely, and um, you know we are protective of each other right in our small communities, um, but um, we, we're trying to lift the silence, if I can put it in that way. Um, because the more silent we are, then of course it continues on, and the people who suffer are, are our communities. So um, you know, and, and employers know the law; they can't say they don't know the law. <laughs> mm-hmm. They do know what their responsibilities are, what their duties are, um, and they, uh, if they are willingly, you know, continuing to exploit, then they are breaking the law. So mm-hmm. uh, they need to be held to account, and our people need to be um, they need to be protected. Mm-hmm. So that provision is there, and I encourage people you know, to make that phone call. Um, and as I said, you know, uh, unions who represent migrant workers speak very positively about the experience of our migrant workers when they make the call and when they get the support. So, and that's that's different to what it was before. There was a lot of distrust. You know, if I call the government, you know, you know the experience has been negative because people have instead of having the crime that's that's instead of what's having the exploitation address people have been sent back home you know so mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to shift it from take away the focus from the immigration and focus on the rights the basic fundamental rights of people being violated so it's a positive development so i encourage people to call the line and just talk if it's worrying you know just just go and talk through the situation um but that that uh, if I use the word bystander, so it may not be happening to you, but it's happening to someone in your workplace. So what we know is if you're a permanent resident in New Zealand, you tend to be less targeted for exploitation. So if I'm a permanent worker, I'm, I'm, I've got rights that are quite different. But if I'm seeing someone on a temporary visa being abused that way, you know, I might want to take responsibility and make that phone call about what's happening. So just take responsibility and protect each other. That would be my encouragement.
Yeah, and that's how we take care of each other as a community. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned a lot about employment laws and employment rights. For someone who might be new to that, how would they learn about their rights as employer or employee? Yes. So this uh, this is a really really good question, Arena. Um, because we talk about human rights as if everybody understands what those are, right? So if you're um, if you're in a job, then legally you need to have an employment contract because it's based on that employment contract that you know that will outline what your entitlements are, including your pay, including any deductions, including any holidays. So it's really really key you read your employment contract. So I'm assuming you have an employment contract then you read them and your rights should be outlined within there. And it's upon those grounds, then we can push back to employers. You know, if you're being underpaid or they've missed your pay, you know, so many times it's becoming a habit, they're violating that contract. And that is a legal contract. So they're violating your law. So read your contract. If there are provisions there for you to have holidays or breaks and you're not getting them, again, they are violating your, your rights. So start from there and your, your rights should be there. If you don't have a contract, that's when we get into to trouble because there's nothing sort of dead in paper that we can, you know, it, it's, it's quite tricky. But still, you are a human being and you have a right to be treated with decency. You know, you still have a right to access health care, you know, if you, are, if you become unwell or you still have these fundamental rights. But absolutely, you're a much stronger position if you have that piece of paper. What I worry sometimes about arena is are all these contracts are in English. You know, so if they're not translated in the languages of our workers, it's it can be quite hard for them, especially if someone else has negotiated the contract on your behalf and you just trust them. So we're very trusting, right? Um, but unfortunately when it comes to exploitation, it's it's not enough to trust. You you have to understand what is in that piece of paper. Um, that has your signature on it because that is your most powerful asset when it comes to um, to standing up for your rights or someone else being able to stand up for you. So really important to look at your employment rights. Um, there, there also even uh, if you have a contract that people who are not part-time workers, like if you're a, a, a casual employer or contract em, uh, employee, I mean, so they might they have different they may have different provisions. So if you're a casual contract normally or um, normally you don't have sick leave. So if you have, you know, if you get suddenly sick, really you're not entitled to any leave. So it's really important before you sign a contract that you make sure that there's provision there. You know, COVID is here. You might get sick again more than once. You know, as as we know, there's new variants coming out. So just you know please make sure that that sick leave is considered in your in your contract or join a union join a union who can help bargain for you so that you are protected um because you know we know this virus will, will come and go so um really uh, my my recommendation to our migrant workers is, is join a union um there's a union called unimig or just contact the council of trade unions and they can connect you to that union for migrant workers. And they've got, I've met with them a few times now, and they've got, you know, people who speak various, you know, many different languages, you know, mm. Philippine, Korean, Arabic, Hindi. So, and there'll be people that can talk you through, you know, what a contract is and help you stand up for your rights. 
because we know it's hard for us to stand up by, you know, for ourselves, especially if English is not our first language, you know. Mm-hmm. I totally understand as, as a child migrant myself. So, and I still help relatives, you know, <laughs> even though they've been here for years. Because, yeah, so you yeah, get some help so you're not by yourself. Mm-hmm. That is actually really good that you mentioned about um, unions having people who speak their language, who can help them throughout the whole process because signing contracts and all that can be really scary for someone who is new to the country. Absolutely. Mm. So, and I always, so I I feel for for any new market, as I said, I, you know, I'm I'm that person too, you know. Um, So I I really feel for, for for our community. So, yeah, please join a union. Um, MB in the Ministry for Business Innovation and um, uh, can't remember what the E stands for, but you know what I'm talking about. So they've developed um, information, you know, for general awareness. So it's issues around migrant exploitation as well as human trafficking. They're developing them in different languages. So you might want to go on their website and have a look and um, and you know and, and find the, the relevant package or. If you want me to, I can contact their people and tell them to contact your station because mm. I recommend it to them. They come in, they reach out to our community radio stations because you know you're you're the voice of our community and they come to you for information. Yeah, so that you can get access to that or at least promote it through your station so that our people can really. Yeah, it's no point having a contact center when no one understands you when you ring up. It's yeah. pointless. So no. Mm. That's very helpful. Thank you for mentioning that. Mm. Um, in public health emergencies such as the pandemic, um, competing human rights need to be balanced, but uh, these yeah. must be fair and reasonable. What, yes. like, How can human rights help us at this time? Yeah. So, so I'll give an example, but that means so, you know, we're in, we're in the situation, right? We want to save as many lives, you know, prevent as much suffering as possible. Hence this call out for people, you know, to, to get vaccinated. And in some circumstances, it's like, unless you're vaccinated, you're going to lose your job. So the competing right is, you know, it's, we all have the right to deny medical treatment. That That's a fundamental right. Um, so that's the competing right, you know. Mm. Hence, you've got people exercising their right. They're also exercising their right to protest in a time when, you know, government's saying, please stay home and don't go in case you spread the virus or catch the virus. So, so these are the competing rights we're, we're talking about. Um, and so the same situations we talked about in the workplace where um, where if you're a worker, you know, in hospitality with lots of public, you know, you, you want to be safe. You know, you need the job. You want to be safe. So you're exercising your right to get treated, but you might have a member of the public comes and demands a service and doesn't, you know, they've chosen not to get themselves vaccinated. So they're ex- exercising their right, you're exercising your right, and then you've got this sort of clash in the middle. <laughs> so so it's really, really difficult for us to, to, to navigate that space. But again, you know, be respectful. You know, we, we're all human. And, um, you know, if, 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 if you're if the place, the workplace that you're providing for can't give them the service they want, they can go to another service. But um, there's no need for that disrespect and that abuse to, to occur in, in that workplace. So it's, it's a difficult difficult situation in, in our country. But I think, you know, the fact that the majority of New Zealanders, the majority of residents have taken up the vaccine um, is, a, is a positive thing. So it's a small group. Um, 
who are, can't be vaccinated might be for medical reasons, not necessarily because they don't want to, it may be for medical reasons. Um, so, you know, we just, we still need to ensure that they receive the basic services that they want. Um, and um, yeah, so that's the sort of situation that, that we've got at the moment. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's a tricky one. And if you're a business owner, you know, it's, it's really difficult because we know a lot of our businesses, especially what I find with, with our migrant communities, a lot of the businesses are small businesses. You know, you're not big corporates necessarily where you've got the buffer, the financial buffer to help carry you through when you've got low income. A lot of our, our migrant-owned businesses are small businesses, so and we have lost a number of them. Like I'm, I'm up here in Auckland, up in Queen Street, a lot of the eateries, the takeaway take bars, those sort of things. Some of the, the tourist shops, you know, they've had to close, the same as in, um, in Wellington. So a lot of our um, migrant business owners are suffering right now. And so there's a there's a lot of pain there that we need to think about in terms of, you know, w- what supports can there be, you know, for for those businesses, and um, so and I don't know what it's like down in down in the in the south in terms of our migrant. I mean, you you'll you'll understand that better. But how are our migrant businesses faring there? Are they getting supports, you know, that that other businesses are getting? Because I'll I'll be interested to hear if if if, if they're missing out on the support package. We need to understand why they're missing out. Because every one of those businesses is a family associated, eh? yeah. and you've other people who re- who need the job. So you lose one, you impact so many. But um, so if if you're not receiving the support, I'll be really interested in why you're missing out on the support. And if there's something wrong, um, then perhaps I can be a voice for you uh, to government and and to people like Business New Zealand and Employment Manufacturers Association to see. They need to reach out to your businesses down down there, down the south. Hmm. And talking about support packages, um, hmm. I'm interested to know about the mental health situation with um, people, the migrant community and post-COVID because yeah. um, there has been deterioration in that area. Yeah. So what's yeah. your current view on the whole thing? Yeah. No, I'm glad you asked. I mean, I'm not in health, so probably it'd be good to invite someone from the health sector to come and talk. But uh, the Human Rights Commission does uh, co-chair. There's a group we meet every three months. It made up made up of ethnic representatives of, of women from the ethnic minority communities, and mental health has been an issue uh, that has been raised. Um, number one, there's, there's still the stigma around mental health that that term around mental health and the I suppose the pride in not coming forward, you know, even though they, they need the help. So we've started conversations with um, people who are working in the reform of the health sector. So, you know, we've got this big reform that's happening because the concern is we hear a lot about responses to um, Maori, to Pacific, to the disabled, to the rural, but we're not hearing much about mental health responses to our ethnic minority communities. So, they seem to be invisible in the equation, at least in the public announcement. So we're asking questions. So what are you going to do to make sure that we reach our ethnic minority communities in terms of mental health, considering the stigma, the shame, and that that comes around? So it would be um, I'm quite happy, um, Arena, to to connect you to um, to the mental health. You know, there's a whole mental health body too, for them to come in and talk with the community. Come on your station. And talk about what are they going to do in this new health reform to ensure mental health supports reach because we know they're suffering there. It's mm-hmm. definitely there, but it's not being it's not for whatever reason, 
the system isn't connecting with the need. Mm. You need to understand. So I'm happy to do that for you mm. as well. Yeah. Thank you for mm-hmm. sharing that. Um, I really like that you mentioned this about the stigma and um, the word mental health, the stigma and all that. It comes with um, cultural expectations as well. Yes. And each culture is so different uh, on their view of like what mental health is like. So, yeah, yeah <laughs> we need a lot of work on that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, our concern is, you know, the, the, this thing of cultural competence, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, how culturally competent is the is the mental health workforce in terms of engaging our people in a dignified way? You know, I mean, you, you can't just ask what's your problem. You don't even say things like that. You know? Yeah, <laughs> no problem. What, what are you saying? Oh, the problem. You, you know, there is a way of talking to our people. Mm. So that's the that's the competence which they don't teach you at medical school. You know, I yeah. don't think they teach it at nursing school or doctors or whatever. So. It's that missing component, and we want to see that um, we see that considered, so that we can reach our people and, and train the workforce, so that they you know that, that they that they meet you know, with that dignity in in the middle. Because we're very proud, our people, right? Mm. So, um, how do we broker those conversations um, so that we can ensure that happens? And if you're in the rural communities, like some of our communities down the south, you know, you're not in the main city necessarily. You're not in the urban. You're not in the the center of the need and necessarily you could be out anywhere. So, you know, how do we get the services out to there? Um, you know, if you don't have a car to travel, if you're a worker out in the binary somewhere, you know, you don't necessarily have a car, you just jump in and go. You don't necessarily have a, a mobile phone you can ring, you know. There are all those other issues uh, that get in the way of the service reaching those who need it. Yeah. And if you don't speak English, then it's a real, real hard struggle. Mm-hmm. So lots of conversation. So I think I'll, I'll I'll connect you with the team. Um, perhaps after our call, I'll give you a couple of names for you to ring up and get them to come and talk on the station and get people to ring up and ask questions because they'll be very happy to to do that. Mm, thank you so much, Commissioner. Um, mm-hmm. Lastly, I know that you're very passionate about it, so I really want to ask you, can you tell us about the current situation with the Pacific Pay Gap? Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so the Pacific Pay Gap uh in general, when we look at ethnicity by income, uh, we see that Pacific people have consistently um, been at the bottom. So they've earned less than every other every other group. Um, and that's been a consistent pattern. It's, it's happened in the public sector as well as in the private sector. So because it looks like a systemic issue that we need to look at, I've exercised uh, the, the rights under the Human Rights Act um, to conduct a national inquiry. So basically, we want to understand what's the, what what's going on, what's the problem, where the barriers are, and then try and identify you know those who are doing some work where you're you know some some good evidence basically. So understanding the problem, understanding some solutions, how to go forward, and the thing is by understanding the barriers to equal employment opportunities for Pacific, the learning will help will be quite relevant i'm sure <laughs> to you know to our ethnic minority community because we're all we're, we're settlers here right so we, we all face those barriers of not necessarily understanding the market the value of our talent to a new market uh, we understand for our generations you know we, we we haven't all come here with wealth so we all build from the ground up we understand those barriers in terms of racial discrimination that, that may happen during the recruitment phase so, for example, what I've heard from some of our migrant workers, you know, is, is they, they just feel like their names alone on a CV 
it's possibly being a block to recruitment agencies taking them seriously. You know, if you come with overseas experience from, say, Canada, United Kingdom, or France or Ireland, somehow that seems to be good. If you come from, you know, um, international experience from Fiji or Samoa or Indonesia or India, it, it's not necessarily seen in the same light. So why is that? So the whole lot of issues, as is, so if we understand for Pacific, and we're focusing on Pacific because it is the most vulnerable group. Uh, but I'm very confident a lot of that learning uh, will be will, will help lift address what we call the ethnic pay gap for our ethnic minority communities. So that's what we're doing. There's a, um, if our Pacific people are learning, and I say if you identify as Pacific, you're in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Um, if you punch up, if you just go online and um, just punch in Pacific Pay Gap Inquiry or just Pacific Pay Gap, it'll pop up and then there's a link there for you to contact the team. And um, as we talked before about multi-languages, you know, we, we, um, we will find people who need to, to speak the, the various languages to engage. Uh, there's a survey online that you can fill out. And if you want to talk with me personally, um, we will make the time for me to, to unfortunately I can't travel because of the <laughs> down but ideally um, you know when when I'm able to travel I'd love to come down to the south I've been down to Wellington outside uh, to Nelson and Blenheim I've actually been through to Dunedin so I've got some idea of the South Island mm-hmm. but yeah I'd, I'd love for you to engage um, look on the website and I'll come down and talk with you but that's the goal we want to ensure equal employment opportunities and pay equity for everybody so we can all have a dignified life. Mm. So I'm focusing on Pacific, but as I said, the learning will be useful for all of our communities. I'm very confident because that's what I'm hearing already. Yeah. So, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I'm very hopeful for our Pacifica listeners and also to everyone, especially since yeah. you um, encouraged that um, this isn't just for the Pacifica people, but this will benefit everyone, all the migrant community who face the uh, pay gap in general. Hmm. Absolutely. And I tell you, I met with a, um, a great group um, from one of the government departments. Um, that was last month, the Ministry for Environment. It's the only public government that has a network of staff um, you know, from the, from the Asian, the, the pan-Asian group, if I can put it that way. And it was really exciting. So, you know, from all the other countries that are not from the Pacific and are not going to Fedua, they were there. And um, the struggles they spoke with me about are the very same struggles that Pacific spoke about. So that's why I'm confident that the findings of this inquiry will help us because we share the problems with language barriers. We share the problem with, you know, our second or third Kiwi generation beginning to lose our language. So so we share those those losses as well and our and I hope to try and reclaim our language and reclaim our identity. So, um, so I'm, I'm very hopeful um, that the findings will help. And the findings will go to government. Mm-hmm. They will help inform some guidelines for businesses. Um, and also the findings will go to the community. Because I've, after years of being downtrodden, you can understand our sense of confidence um, you know, has been affected. Right. So even if we know our rights, if our experience has been every time we raise our hands, we're still ignored. We're not likely to raise our hands again. Well, mm-hmm. you know, so again, that experience from Pacific is the same experience that I'm hearing from our migrant workers. So how can we make workplaces safer? Um, and if we need to, if there's legislation that can help ensure that protection, 
then you know we need to we need to you know to lobby for that too so it will benefit all of us you know to ensure that our fundamental human rights are supported and upheld so mm. the goal yeah thank you so much commissioner this is this has been a really good chat and um i learned so much especially as a migrant woman myself um and this is very useful for our show connecting cultures features as well it will be podcasted and we'll be sharing this to all the migrant community and migrant workers as well Fantastic. And I'll get those two lines, those names for you. Yeah. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll send them through to you and um, invite them to come because mm. they, they need to come and, and speak with the community. Yeah. Mm. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much yeah. For, for the opportunity. Thank you. I'll see you again. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas as well. <laughs>
Connecting Cultures Features is a show by and for the beautiful and diverse multicultural people of Dunedin. Join me every Friday noon for Connecting Cultures Features on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, podcast on oar.org.nz.
Selamat datang. Konnichiwa. Hola. 안녕하세요. Assalamu alaikum. And Kiora. Connecting Cultures Features is a show by and for the beautiful and diverse multicultural people of Dunedin. Join me every Friday noon for Connecting Cultures Features on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, podcast on oar.org.nz. I just wanna be happy. 请别来打扰我。Maybe release the coffee. 闯入我的被窝。可可可以直接一点，可以想说一点。Say whatever. 可以改变，为了事而改变。是说人生有说唱竞赛，就站在第一排，谁跟别人进了？虽然金钱重要，事业重要，为了重要。Every day let me be, I just wanna be happy, 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 like you, like me. I just wanna be happy, 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 hey, no worries. Why the happy? 抛去太多压力 ，Take it easy， 深呼吸，一切搞定。As long you are happy， 难题都别没问题，何必害怕狂风暴雨？
别来打扰我。Maybe release the coffee， 闯入我的被窝。Selamat datang. Konnichiwa. Hola. Annyeonghaseyo. Assalamualaikum. And kia ora. Connecting Cultures Features is a show by and for the beautiful and diverse multicultural people of Dunedin. Join me every Friday noon for Connecting Cultures Features on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, podcast on oar.org.nz.
everyone. Dankaho. Selamat datang. Konnichiwa. Hola. 안녕하세요. Assalamu alaikum. And Kiora. Connecting Cultures Features is a show by and for the beautiful and diverse multicultural people of Dunedin. Join me every Friday noon for Connecting Cultures Features on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, podcast on oar.org.nz. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.